Good morning, everyone. Uh, greetings on another Lord's Day. Um, I am very much looking forward to the day that we can be together again, and hopefully that will be sooner rather than later. Uh, in the meantime, I'm thankful that the Lord is with us wherever we are. He has promised that, and he has promised to continue the good work he has begun in us individually and corporately together. Um, Today, uh, I hope you can join us at 4.30 for our weekly time of praying together, and then uh, some of you, or all of you, are welcome to stay after that to discuss our uh, last lesson, Lesson 12, in our series, Who is the Holy Spirit? Again, that's this afternoon at 4.30. Um, I hope you can uh, join us. Um, as we turn now to this last um, installment in this uh, series, uh, Our Only Comfort, as we're looking at Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we do indeed give you thanks and praise that you have promised to be with your people. We thank you, Father, that you have given us your word and your spirit to guide and direct us. We pray, Father, that you would um, open our eyes to see your truth, open our ears to hear your truth, open our minds to know your truth, open our hearts to embrace your truth, and to live out uh, the truth um, of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives today and until that day ahead when we will no longer have to walk by faith, but we will indeed be able to live by sight. We thank you, Father, and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know we've all heard this conversation um, growing up, uh, especially on the playground um, with our friends. Uh, the conversation goes like this. You can't make me. You can't make me. And the response is often, oh, yeah, you want to make a bet? You want to bet? I can make you. And, and usually there's a threat. Um, it's uh, a more powerful person is talking to a less powerful person. Again, that conversation we've all heard and probably all participated in. You can't make me. Oh, yeah? You want to bet? You know, being made to do something sounds like bad news, doesn't it? I mean, being made to do something? I mean, that, that's bad news, isn't it? But as we will see, being made willing and ready to live for Christ is really good news. And we'll see that today as we wrap up our short eight-week series and consider um, today that last statement in the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one. This question and answer has been orienting us to and anchoring us in God's word because it asks that super important question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? What is your only security? What is your only confidence? This is a really important question uh, that should be asked, and it's a really important question that, that should be answered and indeed is being answered in one way or another. But of course, the answer that the Heidelberg Catechism provides is coming from Scripture, and it points us, of course, to our one and only comfort in life and in death being in Jesus Christ. This answer organizes and summarizes the teaching of God's word, and it provides an answer that, it is, that is concise and comprehensive. 
Listen again to how the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death, is answered. That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. This answer, of course, has to be taken personally. We, you have to believe it. I am not my own. But you know what? It also needs to be taken corporately. We need to change the pronouns. What is our only comfort? That we are not our own, but belong. And what that means when I say taking it corporately, it means we can use this answer to encourage one another. We can use this answer to point one another to what is my only comfort, what is your only comfort. We can use it to build one another up in the faith that God has given us. It's to be taken personally, and as a church, we've got to take it corporately as well. Now, the catechism's answer can be summarized in nine words. What is your only comfort? I belong to Jesus. But more needs to be said and indeed is said. Because it describes Jesus. Listen to how it describes Jesus. He is my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It's talking about who Jesus is. He is faithful. He will not. He cannot change. And it, and it talks about what he does. He saves we see in the answer what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus continues to do for us. What has he already done? He's fully paid for all our sins. He has set us free from the tyranny of the devil. And what does Jesus continue to do for his people? He also watches over us. We are watched over personally, and indeed we are watched over corporately. Jesus loves his bride. He loves the church. He loves his people. He cares for them. And there's that great summary statement, in fact, all things must work together for my salvation. All things work together. It's when our um, cynicism meets that divine conspiracy and out of that is born confidence. Well, last week and today, we're looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we saw that the Holy Spirit provides assurance of faith. We read, he assures me of eternal life. We are to rest assured that God's promises are true and can be believed and can be trusted and will come to pass. Today, we, we move on to the effects of faith and we read that Christ, by his Holy Spirit, makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Now, we need to step back for a moment before we dive into a particular passage of Scripture. And we want to see the big picture of the Heidelberg Catechism. 
And it follows really the outline Paul has in Romans of man's misery, man's deliverance, and man's response. Indeed, if you were to follow on to question two, which asks, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? The answer provided is this, three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. We've heard the pattern before, but it's worth repeating. It's guilt, it's grace, and it's gratitude, or it's sin, salvation, and service. Well, here today in this last statement of answer number one is gratitude and service. Uh, We could explore this in many ways, uh, good works, uh, sanctification, that is growth in grace, but but our, our focus today We'll be keeping that in mind, but looking at that statement, unpacking that statement, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And we're going to anchor this statement in a few verses in 2 Corinthians 5. And so if you've got your Bibles, please uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, Paul, of course, is the author of uh, this second letter to the church, and it's written uh, to, for many reasons, but to express thanksgiving for the repentance and renewed obedience of the Corinthian church. It's, it's written to encourage generosity. Um, it's written by Paul uh, to defend his ministry that was under an unjust and, and false attack. And here in chapter 5, where we're going to be for the next few minutes, Paul explains the ministry of reconciliation. And even though specifically it's talking about uh, the ministry of Paul and the other apostles in the ministry of reconciliation that they are called to, uh, the principles are there for us as well as we will indeed see. Because here in 2 Corinthians 5, we will see that a Christian is a new person having a new purpose and possessing a new power. Again, a Christian is a new person having a new purpose and possessing a new power. And we're going to focus our attention on three verses in particular and consider them in reverse order, starting with verse 17, going to verse 15, and then to verse 14. First of all, a Christian is a new person. I am not my own, the catechism answer says, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, toward the end, because I belong to him. What is a Christian? It's a person who belongs to Jesus Christ. Look with me at Paul's words in in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, eh, put it differently. Therefore, if anyone belongs to Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Again, Paul makes it absolutely clear. A Christian is a new person, a new creation. The old has passed away and something new has arrived. Now, a a Christian is a new person because they've been given a new heart. 
They've been given a, a new heart, a new spirit. Now, I want to draw our attention uh, to uh, our Old Testament reading, Ezekiel 36, in particular verse 26. But before that, we've got to go even earlier in Ezekiel, chapter 18. It's interesting. God makes a command in, ver- in chapter 18, verse 31 of Ezekiel. God says to his people, make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Did you hear that? Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Well, I don't know about you, but I I don't know if I've got that capability. Do you? Make yourself a new heart? Make yourself a new spirit? Well, interestingly, before we get to chapter 18, is chapter 11, and verse 19 says this, God speaking, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Now, interesting, isn't it? God says he's going to give, but then it's as if he commands. But then later in Ezekiel, our Old Testament reading, Ezekiel 36, 26 We read these words, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It's it's a repetition of what was said earlier. My friends, a new heart is God's gracious gift. Throughout the New Testament letters, Romans in particular, Paul speaks, when Paul is the author of his epistles, of the old man and the new man, what was before, what has happened now, and what's to take place from here on out. The old has gone. The old way of life, the new way has come. It has come through the person and work of Jesus and faith in him. So because Christians are new people, Christians have a new purpose. A Christian is a new person having a new purpose. And look at how the catechism answer speaks of the purpose. Willing and ready from now on to live for him. That old purpose was, of course, to live for ourselves, to live for yourself. The new purpose is to live for him, to live for Jesus. A Christian is a person who lives for the one they belong to. Look at verse 15. It's speaking of those who live, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And hasn't the answer already spoken of the work of Jesus, the faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who's paid for our sins, who's set us free. Paul is saying that those who live now, who live by faith in Christ, who are new creations, may no longer live for themselves, but rather for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, what does it mean to live for him? You know, what does it mean to live for Christ. Well, I think you can boil it down to one expression, to obey Christ. 
Remember when we studied the gospel according to Mark, the call of Christ, the call of Christ. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And the following of Jesus more and more is obedience to Jesus. We've got the call of Christ and we've got the commission of Christ, what is known as the great commission, what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, to live for Christ, to obey Christ, to, to, to do his commands. In fact, earlier in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul makes this great statement. We make it our aim to please him. And scripture is clear. We please the Lord through our obedience to his good and gracious and right commands. Well, what does living for Jesus Christ look like in your life? Let's all take a few moments now to consider what does living for Jesus look like in your life? Think about right now a difficult relationship you may be having. And ask yourself, is what I'm thinking about that person, could it be characterized as living for myself or living for Christ? Think about that big decision that you've got coming up and evaluate it like this. Is it going to reflect living for myself or is it going to reflect living for Christ? Think about um, saving finances and getting ready to spend money. Ask yourself, does it reflect living for myself? Or would it reflect living for Christ? It's a good question to ask ourselves. It's a good grid in which to evaluate. Now, how? How are you and I willing and ready to live for him? How are we able to do that? You know, yeah, it's right and good to, to believe but, but, and to acknowledge, but how do we do that? Because a Christian is a new person who has a new purpose, but a Christian is also a person who possesses new power. Look with me at verse 14. You see, we'll get there in just a moment, but, but you see the power acknowledged because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit. By his Holy Spirit makes me. A Christian, you see, is a person who has a new power. Look at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. That's the English Standard Version. The New American Standard uses controls. The New International Version compels. The old King James Version constraineth. Um, that verb in the Greek, if you unpack it and go to its core, it's, it's an idea of being surrounded, hemmed in, encircled, ruled. For the love of Christ controls us. Now, after 
being given one heart, a new spirit, a heart of flesh. In Ezekiel 11, verse 20, we read, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. And after being given a new heart and a new spirit, in Ezekiel 36, 27, we read, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey. There's... God giving and God granting, causing obedience, causing keeping, causing the ability to walk. Um, as I was thinking about this, um, for the love of Christ controls us, I was thinking about the power of love. And for those of you my age, you may remember the middle 1980s, there was a song by that very tap, uh, uh, um Name the power of love, and unfortunately, it was talking about some kind of humanly created love, it was not talking about the biblical love. The love that is so well described in Paul's fifth chapter in his letter to the Romans that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. One aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit is to do what? Pour God's love into our hearts. Think about that. New hearts. And those new hearts are new receptacles, new vessels for the love of God seen in the person and work of Christ to be poured into us. And and Jesus makes it absolutely clear, love is expressed in obedience. We know it, but we need to be reminded, don't we? If you love Jesus, you will obey him. Here's where Jesus makes it crystal clear in John 14, beginning in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And usually I've stopped right there. But listen how Jesus continues. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I'd never seen the connection, really, before. Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as the helper, in this particular area, in obedience. The Heidelberg Catechism's first question and answer ends with good news. All of it is good news. And it's good news that needs to be repeated often. And it's good news that we need to be reminded of and rehearse what we see there and to remember but I want us to wrap up by thinking about two aspects of this good news. Now, often on a coin, uh, you know, it's heads or tails. And if you're flipping to see who kicks off in a football game, you know, one team kicks off and one team receives. But here, the two sides of the one coin are both good news. Uh, and both of us, both sides actually enable are us receiving something from the Lord. The first aspect of this good news is this. 
God has changed me. Look back at the answer. I've been bought. I belong. I've been set free. I'm watched over. Everything works together for my salvation. Just in and of itself, that is good news. And we see how it ends. We're assured and we're made wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live with him. Now, are you willing? Are you willing? Yes, because God has changed my will. And are you ready? Yes, because God has given me a new power. He can make me. He can make me. This isn't the threat of punishment on the playground. This is made because we are attracted to the Lord, his goodness, his beauty, his kindness, his love. But there's another aspect of good news, and it's good news that we might overlook. And it's these three words, from now on, from now on. You see, this is so important, so critical, so essential. It's included there. Because every time you say from now on, it's great encouragement for those who still sin. It's like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From now on. My friends, if we answer this question, what is our only comfort in life and in death today? We get to the point from now on. Because we can't go back. We can only move ahead and forward. It's like Paul in his letter to the Philippians when he says this, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We can't go back. We're not called to go back. We go forward. We're called to press on from now on. Are you willing, by God's grace, yes. Are we ready, by God's grace, yet? Well, then let's go and live a life of gratitude for the gift of a new heart promised in the gospel and expressed through a life of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for changing us and making us willing and ready to no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who we belong to, the one who has paid for all of our sins with his precious blood, the one who has set us free from the tyranny of the devil. Oh, Father, we thank you that you make us willing and able and ready by changing us. Oh, Father, would you help us 
because of the love that you have poured in our poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Help us to love you. Help us to follow Jesus. Help us to live a life of gratitude for the new life we have in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.